Hey folks, this week's episode is sponsored by the good folks at Yellow Veil Pictures. Following a midnight launch at the Cannes Film Festival, Gaspar Noé's psychedelic horror Lux Eterna is available this Friday, June 10th on Amazon, Google Play, and Vudu. Preparing for a shoot, horror icons Beatrice Dalle and Charlotte Gainsbourg are backstage telling stories about past productions gone awry, witches being burned at the stake. Meanwhile, ego and technical problems turn to psychotic outbreaks as the shoot gradually punches into chaos. Sounds like classic Gaspar Noé to me. See what IndieWire's called a disturbing outburst of light, color, and 3D illusions by heading over to LuxAeternaMovie.com. That's L-U-X-A-E-T-E-R-N-A Movie.com to watch the trailer and to find out more information about the release. And I'm here to tell you about Jay of the Dead's new horror movies podcast. Stephen King once said, I, I've heard of that guy. I don't know if you have, Scott. Mm-hmm. But he once said, nobody likes a clown at midnight. But do you know what horror fans do like? Clowns at noon? <laughs> uh, probably not. Nobody likes clowns at any point in time. I think we've yeah. established that. But what horror fans do like is Jay of the Dead's new horror movies podcast. This is a free podcast that reviews brand new 2022 horror films. You also get horror theme segments. So it's kind of like a horror magazine, but an audio podcast form. In fact, reviewers have called it the ultimate horror podcast. Not just a good horror podcast, mind you, or even a great horror podcast. The ultimate horror podcast. Are, are we considered a horror podcast? I'd say we we might be. Yeah, I, yeah, I self-identify as a horror podcast. So that means we might have to challenge uh, new horror movies to that ultimate horror podcast title at some point down the mm-hmm. line. But we don't need to worry about that for right now. I think we enter the the Terror Dome. Two podcast enters, one podcast leaves. You can subscribe for free on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and NewHorrorMovies.com. That's Jay of the Dead's New Horror Movies, the gold standard of horror movie podcasts. It's time for the weekly Fango ad read. As you well know, in 1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released into the world, and it's been over 40 years, and they are better than ever, with each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated content honoring horror's past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical, collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away because we want the experience to be a surprise, but we can safely say that you do not want to miss a single page. So head on over to Fangoria.com to learn more and, you know, subscribe. And while you're there, make sure to enter the promo code KINGCAST to save 25% off your annual subscription. With all that said, let's get on with that show. My name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Red Rum! 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 Red Hello and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name's Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. Folks, I am very excited to finally have today's guest on the show with us today. In addition to being one of my absolute favorite people on Twitter, he's also a former writer and on-air personality for Fox's Red Eye, was a producer panelist on CNN's Unfiltered with S.E. Cup, the current co-host of the Daily Beast's 
very popular, the new Abnormal podcast, and also a man I was forced to carry through more than a few rounds of mm. Aliens Colonial Marines. Oh, Today, <laughs> he's going to be discussing Stephen King's recently released short story, Finn, which is currently available via Scribd. Ladies and gentlemen, Please welcome to the KingCast stage, Mr. Andy Levy. Andy, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. I just, you shattered the, uh, I had the over-under set at 10 minutes before you brought up the uh, Aliens video. <laughs> aliens. You absolutely destroyed that. Yeah, I was doing right fine top, until, baby. until you brought that up. Yeah. yeah. And now my day, my day is, my day is ruined. Um, I, I never, I never actually uh, played that. How, uh, like Scott, you guys really liked that, didn't you? The Aliens game? Uh we Annie and I played quite a bit of it for like a few days, and then I think we sort of lost interest. Like the the thing was, it was I. I mean, I won't speak for Andy. I thought it was I thought it was awesome, but I also thought that it felt like one fifth of a game. Like right. there just wasn't yeah, it, enough. Go it ahead. Got super. It, yeah, no, it just got super repetitive. But uh, but it was fun. What Scott is not telling you is that uh, after playing with me for a couple of days. He uh, started playing with other people, and anytime I would log on, he would have some. Oh, I'm just about to eat dinner. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I might true. be back in a couple hours. Oh, it's completely that is a hundred. That's listeners. Definitely what not I am, true. Constant listeners. What I am telling you is a hundred percent true. Right <laughs> I, here, he I played, me. He I played left aliens. his wingman. He left his wingman. <laughs> His wingman, his burden. I think is the word you're searching for there. <laughs> and, what you're saying and, is you were his Wierzbowski. And <laughs> got, got taken out and thrown thrown also, into the alien I, I pit just, right at the beginning. I, I, I just want to say for the record, I am, and I told Scott this before we started playing. I said, "Look, I'm a fairly mediocre gamer, and I will never in my life take these things seriously. I'm just, I'm, I'm here to have fun." And he's yes. like, "Yeah, yeah, cool, cool." And within ten minutes, he was like. Get your ass on point. Uh, I, need, I need a frag over here. Uh, mayday, I never mayday. Said any of that. Uh, I would, <laughs> mayday. I would never say any of those phrases, and I think everyone knows that. Um, but no, you were you were fine with it. I just like breaking your balls about I, you know just know. just shit talking unnecessarily, as is my want. Um, just hurting people's feelings. That's what that's what gets you off. Yes, I understand. That is that is the brand, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, and it's working. So sorry, everyone. Yeah, but uh, uh, I, I think that game's worth a shot. If if you can get it for like ten bucks, I'd get it. Yeah. But um, you know, yeah, it's I don't on know Game Pass. I... I downloaded it with the intent to play it with some friends, and then like any everybody just got sucked into other games. It was either I want to play Overwatch now, or people were playing uh, um, the the new Diablo on mobile. Is mm-hmm. uh, is it, it's yeah, this I just weird, like that. yeah, it's like this weird hybrid where it's kind of like a Xbox Arcade or PlayStation you know store kind of mm-hmm. game but it's on your mobile device so it's like more than a mobile game but less than a, a console game so it's just uh i don't know it's this old thing we the whole point is that all, in the world of gaming it people get easily distracted and so it's been sitting on my my game pass uh download for i don't know like two months now with a and i've never cracked it open it's got a, it's a not- lot of like really cool prometheus shit in it and like the mm, yeah. alien stuff that i i was just blown away by when i first saw it um but yeah, yeah and the, it's, the levels run out real quick. It's not an awful game to play by yourself. I mean, it gives you like AI squad members and it's not, you know, it's not quite as much fun, but you can you can run it solo if you just want to check it out and see what it's like. Have you guys played any of the Sniper Elite games? I know this isn't a gaming podcast, but Mm-mm. since we're talking about it, I wanted to put it on your radars if you haven't ever played them. I played, what's the new one, five? Five, yeah. 
I think I played three because I don't think I played four, but I played three no. back on that. That must have been on like the PS3 probably. Right. And had a blast playing it. And I just, I never got around to buying four. And I, a friend of mine who also played three uh, is now playing five and said it's really, really fun. Yeah. So if you haven't played this, Scott, this is essentially just an excuse to murder Nazis, this game. Yeah, yeah, but I don't like sniper games. They the the precision demanded does not fit well with my uh, <laughs> shotgun everything in the face uh, <laughs> right chosen lifestyle. And right. um, yeah, I'm just it's like stealth games. I'm just not. Yeah. It's just not really. My See, that's thing. my my shit. Like you, when you talk about like uh, Skyrim or you're talking about Elder Scrolls, like I always build like bow and arrow characters far away distance. So like mm-hmm. the sniper games are kind of built for me. So. Um, but they do this crazy thing where they cut into like x-ray vision when you execute a shot and it's kind (laughs) of like remember how in the fallout 3 where you you get a great kill and then you'd watch the super mutant's head like pop right and eyeballs fly everywhere it's like that except it cuts it's like mortal Kombat, right so you get this you see where the bullet's going in the brain popping an eye you know through the lung through testicles it'll show (laughs) testicles getting shot it is it is weirdly fulfilling and uh, and about as bloodthirsty as, as I get in, in the video game world. And the holy you grail heard it, You is... heard it here first, folks. According to Eric Vespi, the sniper game franchise will show testicles. That is correct. Oh, the, ho- the holy grail is if you can line up like three guys in a row yeah. and put, put one round through three <laughs> sets of testicles. I'm not kidding. Like that is literally the holy grail. Like that's, that's what you want. It's amazing. <laughs> the hat trick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Six balls shot. Six individual (laughs) testicles shot. Now, while we are here in the off topic intro portion of the program, (laughs) not that we are ever completely on topic during the rest of the program, there was a note about something in your, um, in the the bio information you sent me, Andy, that I wanted to ask about, which is that Mm -hmm. you were the publicist for the 69th Academy Awards. First of all, nice. Thank you. Um, And what the what the fuck is that job like? It's that funny. That seems as like hell. it would be a nightmare. It seems no, like it's, no? I, I loved it. Uh I sort of I was working at uh NBC News in Washington and I realized I hated Washington. And this was a long time ago, so if anyone listening lives there now, uh, I have heard it's delightful these days. Um hmm. but I just I sort of wanted to get out of DC and I've always, you know, been a huge movie fan. And I had uh, an ex-girlfriend knew some people at the Academy and she kind of just hooked me up with an interview and they were like, yeah, if he wants to fly out, we'll interview him. And so I, you know, flew out on my own dime and interviewed and somehow bullshitted my way through it because I'd never (laughs) done PR before. Um, You know, I did the whole, well, I've been in journalism, so I know it from the other side. I know what works and I know what doesn't. And yeah, okay, whatever, man. Um, Right. But you know, they took a chance and they hired me. What what they do is the Academy, uh, you know, they have permanent staffers, but then they would bring on uh, two publicists for like a five month gig that started like, you know, four months before the Oscars. So I moved out to L.A. and and did that job. And and it was it was mostly fun as hell. I mean, it's a weird first job to have in publicity because, you know, most mm-hmm. of PR is being told no. And in, in this case, you're the one telling people no, because you're like, you know, at the t- you're basically at the top. Right. Um, the gatekeeper. But, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, uh, 
a lot of it was, you know, mundane. I wrote a ton of press releases every time we would name a new presenter and stuff like that. But then I got to work a lot of the events and I, you know, I worked the, uh, uh, the event when they named, you know, released the nominees list. And then right. obviously like the like week of six the show, in the morning or whatever the fuck. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and you stay up all night basically. Um, because you get the, you get the list. I forget what time we got it, but you get the list pretty late at night and then you have to start going through and, you know, you put together the press packet with, you know, this is so-and-so's eighth nomination. And this is the right. first time, uh, you know, an antelope has been nominated for <laughs> documentary short or whatever. So, so you, you know, you spend the night doing that and then you have the fun thing in the morning. And I actually met, uh, I think it was, uh, MTV had Pat Smear covering it for them. Uh, who, who was, yeah. And so I got, I got formerly of Nirvana. Smear. Yeah. And currently of, uh, I think he's doing food fighter stuff now, if I remember correctly. Um, that makes sense. But, uh, so I did, a I did a whole little thing with him, uh, in the morning and, uh, and that was fun. And then, you know, like the week of the Oscars, you're down at, this was a, while ago it was the oscars were at the shrine auditorium but you know you're on site for the week and you're you're just working your ass off from like you know i don't know eight nine in the morning till like 10 11 at night but it's fun and like there's an end game you know like you know that in a week is the show and i discovered that i really like working on stuff where there's like a you know there's a natural end and you feel like a sense of satisfaction right job well done um, sort of how I'll feel at the end of this podcast. And <laughs> so it was, I, I we'll love see. the job. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, I had a blast doing it and I would go back, uh, like every year I would sort of take vacation. I worked at the director's guild after that. Um, and I would take a week's vacation, like right around Oscars time. And, you know, I stayed friendly with the Academy people and they would invite me back and I would help them out. And then they would give me, you know, I'd get like two tickets or four tickets. And so like over the years, I was able to get my parents to go to the Oscars, my sister and her husband, a whole bunch of friends. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah. So it was, uh, it was really cool. It was a really, really yeah. fun job. That's a, that's a bucket list item for me, by the way. Like I, I know that it's kind of trendy, especially in the film Twitter circles of like, oh, the Oscars suck and I've always sucked. I, I don't know. I, I always, yes, of course, anything where people are patting themselves on the back, you got to you know, put a little shade on. I totally get that. But I also remember being the kid that figured out what like editing was and that what, you know, had a better idea what cinematography was and the history of film watching that and that it wasn't just a, uh, a thing that like kids who liked movies or adults who liked movies were into, like everybody watched the Oscars. It was like a, a cultural event. Um, mm. you know, I don't know yeah. if that's exactly the true anymore, but you know, I don't know as much as the will slip, will Smith, I, I was going to say will Smith slap and I almost called him will slip. Um, <laughs> but that's his new name now. Will slip <laughs> when that <laughs> happened, you know, that dominated the news more than, you know, half of the Ukrainian war stories going on around. Yeah, that. That's for sure. So people yeah. are still fascinated by the celebrity of it, but mass I don't shooting know, like, couldn't even get in a word, get a word in edgewise that week. Yeah. No. Um, yeah, so, but so I guess there's still cultural relevancy, but, um, you know, I still am fascinated by it. And that, that is a bucket list item for me. One of these years I, I want to go sit in the bleachers and, you know, dress up and do the whole, whole thing. 
Yeah, well, yeah, it's so, um, it's so when it's you find out who fun. the next, I, I, I'm going to need you to be the uh, the publicist on the next uh-huh. year's Oscars, <laughs> right? Yeah. Whenever there's a nah, Stephen man. King movie nominated again, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, th- then yeah, it's the, really important to get me and Scott in there. We can pick and present. Dark, yeah, dark t- Tower tell was we can the last present. one that was nominated, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Best picture. It, it, yeah, yeah. Fifteen noms. Fifteen yeah. noms. Fourteen yep. wins. It was incredible. Yeah. You know. <laughs> So I was best, the uh, best clearly missing scenes. I think it was up for <laughs> best totally fucked lore. Yeah. Um, best yeah, condensing that, of four books, mythology in <laughs> 90 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, uh, this is a good transition into um, the question we ask all of our guests, Andy, which is of course, uh, what is your, what is your Stephen King origin story? So I was racking my brain trying to remember my first Stephen King book, and I think it was The Dead Zone, but I'm not positive. But the, my basically my my Stephen King origin story is uh, a I'm really old. There used to be things called uh, the Literary Guild and the Book of the Month Club, and mm-hmm. these were things that like through the mail. It was a lot like the Columbia record deal, which a lot yeah. of people may still know where you would, you know, you would sign up and you would get like 11 CDs for a penny and then you'd have to buy like four over the next years. And, you know, they'd be like $1,500 each. So <laughs> yeah, somehow yeah. You, you, right. you'd eventually lose money in the deal uh, unless you, of course, in college used a lot of fake names and addresses. That's what um, I did. But I, but I digress. So there used to be these two book clubs called the Literary Guild and Book of the Month Club, and they were similar to that. You would you could join, and you would get like six books for a dollar, and they were hardcover. They were like special editions for those clubs, not not special like grand, but they were. They would say Literary Guild, and I believe they're like worth less, you know, in the book trade. Um, But uh, the reason I bring that up is my dad. My my house growing up was just it was just wallpapered with books. My dad was a, a voracious reader, uh, and my mom as well. They were both teachers. Um, and you know, my dad definitely belonged to both of those. And so there were like hardcover versions of Stephen King books around the house. And I want to say it was the dead zone that I read, um, mainly because it's one of his less scary ones. And mm. I seem to remember there was a copy of, of Carrie lying around, uh, where the cover just as a kid, I, I like couldn't even look at the cover, you know, right before I went to bed or I wasn't sleeping <laughs> that night. So right. I think it was the dead zone, but it was definitely uh, from those book clubs is what got me started. And then yeah. I just, you know, again, I'm also like, uh, this was a long time ago. This was, I'm talking the 1970s uh, at this point. And Stephen King was considered trash at the time. And, yeah. you know, Stephen King were the kind of books that you read and people would go, why are you reading that trash? You know, uh, and stuff like that. And I just loved them from the start. And I, you know, I read The Dead Zone and then any other Stephen King I could get my hands on. And, uh, you know, and it just kind of went from there. He was like, like, even when I was of college age or whatever, he was the one that I would I would always buy the hardcover of his books because I couldn't wait for the paperback to come out. Like anytime he had a new book out in hardcover. Uh, and I specifically remember reading it. Uh, and I had shown up for college like a couple days early. You could move in a little early. And I was like me and not too many other people in the dorms. And I was reading it 
And I realized, well, this is a big mistake. I'm like in this building basically by myself (laughs) and I'm reading this absolutely terrifying book. But, uh, but yeah, but that's what got me started into Stephen King was, uh, I guess it's all my dad's fault basically. Hmm. Oh, that's cool. It's always one of the parents. Or yeah. usually one of the parents. Always. But you were a scared kid and you were scared of, of the horror stuff? I was, but I loved it. And I so I would read scared horror. Scared but drawn like, to it. Right. Yeah, I would read it incessantly. And I remember reading these books called, uh, I think they were called like Stranger Than Fiction and something like that. And they were, you know, purportedly true stories of hauntings and stuff like that. And I had these books and I must have reread them 30, 40 times. <laughs> but they would absolutely terrify me. And I, I literally would not be able to sleep with the light off at night. And, you know, and my poor dog, like I would have, we had a dog when I was growing up and I would make him come on the bed with me and like force him. I would like block him in so he couldn't jump <laughs> off the bed because I needed to know. Be, because one of the things I had learned as a young child was that dogs could sense the supernatural. Right. So I knew if he wasn't whining or anything like that, then I was probably safe. Um, so yeah, I was, I was, you had a ghost alarm dog. (laughs) Basically. Yeah. And he, and and of course he had no idea, you know, he just thought, why is this asshole making me stay on the bed? I really would like to eat right now, you know? (laughs) Um, Right. But, uh, but yeah, so draw, definitely drawn to horror books and, and, and stuff like that. Even though when, you know, back in the day, they would scare the hell out of me. Huh. Yeah, did you get real quick talking about dogs? Did you guys? I don't remember where it was. It was in some one of those like young adult horror books, but there was a story about uh, the old wives' tale that you could see a ghost if you look between the ears of a of a dog or a cat. Like if you got down on their level and what? looked at what they were looking at, and you could actually see a ghost. Oh, if you're, like, that doesn't make the sense. Ears. So no, I never heard by that, that rationale. Like a baby could see a ghost because it's the, the same eye level. <laughs> Well, well, they do. They no, do cry well, the, a lot. the thing was is that the animals could sense sense it, you know, and the, the, I guess it all comes from, you know, cats and dogs will like look at random spots and growl right. if there's nobody there and that kind of thing. But the the, the old wives' tale part of it is if you kind of got down below, you know, when they're pointing and looking at something, you could, you know, I don't know, not see what they see Beastmaster style, but you know, but uh, <laughs> somehow the the veil between the the worlds is is pulled down i don't know obviously it makes no sense but as a kid i tried it all the fucking time because i wanted <laughs> to see a ghost and so anytime i i caught like the family cat like looking at the corner or something i tried to get behind it to see if they were looking at a ghost the best punchline to that story would be if like and then i looked between my cat's ears and saw the most horrifying thing i've ever seen in my life <laughs> richard simmons was there yeah he's well, trying to get me to exercise guys have you um Andy, have you kept up with King's recent work? I have. Uh, there's probably a couple that I've missed, but considering how many he's got, I would say I've read 99% of it. And I just, uh, you know, uh, Scott, you know this, but I just sure. recently have been going back and and picking up on stuff that I had kind of missed, like uh, The Colorado Kid and mm-hmm. uh, 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 the one with the amusement park. One more time. Joyland. Joyland. Yeah. Um, and, and Billy, uh, Summers. I keep wanting to say Billy Bud, but that's okay. <laughs> Billy Summers. Yeah. There, there, like, there was a, yeah, <laughs> there was a little, you know, there was a little bit where I sort of missed the, the ones that weren't like the, the big main releases, uh, M A I N, right. not M A I N E. Um, mm-hmm. and 
so I'm sort of going back and I've been just recently filling in the gaps, which has been a lot of fun. And then I realized like I'd never read Revival, even though I thought I had. And mm-hmm. so I'm now like halfway through that and enjoying it very much. Mm. I'm very uh, excited to hear what you think about the ending to that book. I'm okay. not going to say I'm not going to say a goddamn word. <laughs> cool. It's, it's not what option. I expected so far yeah. like halfway in. It is not. I just I assumed from, you know, just from the opening pages, I thought that the 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 clergyman, the minister, whatever, was going to be like a classic Steve, like a Randall Flag style baddie, mm-hmm. and and then obviously he quickly isn't. And I was like, oh, okay, so I have no idea what's going to happen in this book. This is really cool. Uh, yeah, so I'm, yeah um, I'm digging it. It's sort of it's if you look at it from the right angle, it's sort of constructed like the darkest joke you've ever heard. Um, it's because it. Well, this is a discussion for after you've read it, but um, okay. I think you'll see what I mean. And uh, yeah, I really look forward to hearing how you how you enjoy that ending. You might need to get another. Uh, do you have a dog now? I have a cat. Okay, well, close enough. Uh, you might need well, to corner that cat. In bed my, again. Yes, my understanding is if I just look between its ears. Yes, yes that is correct. Uh, but yeah, you don't right. want to see you don't want to see what they're seeing if it's related to revival. <laughs> no, I'll tell you okay. that much. <laughs> oh boy! All right, <laughs> okay. blissful ignorance is the is the <laughs> okay. key key to surviving that. Um, so the yeah. what about the what about his crime stuff? Because the, that sort of the story you're here to talk about today, Finn, is more in line with I think some of the. Mm. some of the some of the crime stuff like Billy Summers or maybe later or um, I don't know I haven't read the Mercedes trilogy yet I've been holding off on that so oh it's really um, good yeah I've heard but it's you know I've said this on the show before but I've got sort of like X number of titles that I've set aside for when there are no more Stephen King books so I have new stuff to read and those that trilogy is in that little group you know so, uh, there are other authors that write books you could read those yeah, yeah i read i read other stuff um right. but right. you read erotica i forgot i know yes. I, I recently started doing that and uh yeah. i am loving it oh my <laughs> lord have either of you read erotica before no <laughs> not not unless the uh, ending of it counts I know it sounds like no no dudes I ever talked to about this are like, yeah, I read fucking erotica. Yet every single woman I know apparently loves it. Um, so I've been getting inundated with recommendations. Um, hmm. And I'm going to tell you, it's pretty badass. Like uh, You're doing it for the chicks is what you're saying. No, because uh, I'm not getting any of them. But, uh, <laughs> you know, married. But uh, the uh-huh. but it's listen. Everyone likes to be get, you know, a little horned up from time to time, you know, and it always seemed to me like, well, if I wanted that, I would, you know, there are easier methods than reading an entire book. But what I've discovered is that it's flexing a completely different kind of muscle in your brain. And um, I don't I don't know how to explain this and not sound stupid because this is the case with all books. But whenever you read a book, the book is the like a blueprint for the movie that you're imagining in your head, right? And so if you're reading erotica, the same rule applies. And that's pretty rad, especially if, like me, you have a really filthy imagination. So um, to any dudes out there that are reluctant to try this or feel weird about it, don't feel weird. Uh, be a little freak. No one can stop you. And uh, you you might learn a thing or two about yourself along the way. It's... Uh, I highly recommend it, and, and I've been reading. I've been reading specifically horror erotica, um, 
but I do read other stuff, primarily horror titles, but you know, let me ask, can I, may I ask a question? Yeah, no. of course. No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> getting mixed, mixed signals here. If I've never had <laughs> sex, will I know what's going on in these books? Well, I'm going to send you some, some links to a few different sites. You watch some videos okay. there and okay. you'll get the gist. Um, and I can come up with a chart that'll show you like labeled, like this is a penis and, and so on and so forth. And I think you'll figure it all out right. once, you know, it'll all come together. But I yeah, know what the next level will be you figuring out uh, the ice cream butt plug cone that we're plugging as part of a sponsorship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sitting, sitting right next that to I'm me. That I'm actually uh, familiar with. I just didn't realize it was a sex thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you follow the but directions to a T, though. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Huh. yeah. <laughs> so um, let's talk about Finn. Um, this was recently released, uh, exclusively through Scribd. Uh, if I were a betting man, I would say that it's all but guaranteed to show up in his next short story collection. And, uh, it's a pretty quick read and it's not, it's not really supernatural. It's, um, it's more in line with, as I was saying a moment ago with his crime stuff. Uh, I'm wondering, Andy, if you would do the honors on, uh, laying out the plot for Finn. And there with this will uh, include spoilers for those of you who haven't read it yet. Okay, yeah. Uh sure. So Finn is uh he's a teenager in in uh Ireland. Um and basically he was born under a bad sign or whatever you want to say. He just had incredibly bad luck uh which includes getting a little toe blown off by a firecracker or fireworks. Uh getting a concussion after a narrow brush with uh, a lightning strike. And various other things. And he's just had, he's had a, a bit of a rough life. And then uh, at the age of 19, uh, he is walking home or hurrying home from his girlfriends because he has a bad case of, of the old blue balls. Mm, um, yes. And a guy bumps into him, a guy who is dressed uh, very similarly, like t-shirt, hat, whatever, like the way a teenager dresses, basically. Um, and they run into each other. And, uh, the guy, you know, they get up, the guy keeps going and Finn keeps going. And then the next thing Finn knows he's being grabbed by four guys and hustled into a van and they, they give him a little injection of something. And when he wakes up, he's in a room with basically just a cot and, uh, has no idea what's going on. Uh, he tries to ask some questions and immediately super loud music starts blaring out of, uh, three big Bose speakers. And, this goes on for a bit and he sleeps for a little bit. And then the next, he doesn't know how much time has passed, but he's taken in uh, two guys come and get him and they take him in to see uh, the leader. And basically what has happened as Finn quickly realizes is these guys were chasing the guy that Finn ran into. And then they mistakenly grabbed Finn thinking that he was that guy. And which obviously continues his incredible run of bad luck as a human <laughs> being. So they are trying to get information from him and the, they want to know the whereabouts of a briefcase and blueprints. And we're never sure. Finn doesn't know who these guys are. He doesn't know if they're like part of the government or some, you know, just sort of, uh, I don't know, rogue. Rogue agency. Yeah. Rogue agency. Or, yeah. you know, you sort of get a hint later on that maybe they used to be government, but maybe they're not anymore. He keeps trying to explain to them that he's not the guy they think he is. Uh, they keep calling him Bobby Feeney, and he keeps saying, no, I'm Finn Murray. Uh, but he had left his wallet at his girlfriend, so he can't prove that. 
so this goes on for a bit and he just, he gets tortured. He gets waterboarded for God's sake, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, which was like, <laughs> well, all right, wasn't expecting that. Eventually, you know, he, there's nothing he can tell them. He doesn't know anything about a briefcase. He doesn't know anything about blueprints. Eventually he's dragged into the leader at some point and the, and the, or the leader is like, look, let's say I believe that you are who you are. Uh, and you know, what are we going to do about this is ba- I, I'm, heavily paraphrasing now mm, yes. but the guy is basically like uh look we're gonna give you a nice breakfast and then you know and then we'll talk and he sends him out to get a breakfast with the guys and he's about to eat this huge breakfast and one of the guys grabs and him he's starving and, by the way that that's something yes. that should be noted they haven't Very fed him true. this whole time they haven't fed him at yeah. all this uh, seems like how- the first act of kindness that that, that they're right. he's getting yeah. So as he's about to eat the you know the bacon and the eggs and whatever uh the guys grab him instead and hustle him out and throw a bag over his head and throw him back into the van. And they explain to him that the food was actually poisoned and they're saving him and that their boss uh, has sort of gone off the rails and is not, you know, that they might've done some good work in the past. And they say that, you know, back a few years ago, they had actually maybe saved the world. Um, but that, you know, he's kind of lost it. And so they, they let him, they, they drive him around for a bit and they let him go back in his neighborhood while he was, while he had been sleeping at one point, he had a dream about this playground uh, where he had played a lot as a child and where he in fact uh, broke his arm and they let him out. And instead of going home or to his girlfriends, he decides he wants to go to this playground and he gets to the playground and the book kind of ends with him having memories of, uh, I am now blanking on the story. It was an Ambrose Bierce story, I think. Mm, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, occurrence at Owl, Owl Creek Bridge. Yes, Bridge, Occurrence at Owl right? Creek, where, where the, uh, there was a character who was a slave owner, and they, he was being hung, and they pushed him off a bridge. and then But the, the rope around his neck, the rope breaks, and he swims to safety. But then it turns out there's a twist. That whole thing was in his mind, and it was basically just, it was a little dream the character was having before they actually pushed him off the bridge and killed him. So he starts thinking, maybe that's what's happening to me. Uh, maybe he actually drowned during the waterboarding. Uh, or maybe he even, you know, as a kid, when he got hit by the lightning and was in a coma for a couple of days, maybe he never came out of that coma and he's right. still in it now. And so that's kind of how the book ends. And he, he uh, there's a slide that he loved as a child and he climbs up the slide and this woman yells at him, what are you doing? You're too big. You're going to break it. And he basically decides, uh, he says either I'll still be there when I get to the bottom or I won't be either way. You know, simple as that is what he says. The last line of the book is, and then he pushed off. And so you're sort of left not really knowing if any of this really happened or if (laughs) some of it really happened and he died or, or if, everything happened and he is now a free person. Yeah. The, the, that, the particular way that is that last line is phrased, he pushed off. Um, I think might be a clue, you know, (laughs) if if the character in the, uh, you know, occurrence at Owl Creek bridge, uh, which was also the basis for an episode of, uh, the twilight zone. I've mentioned that on the show before, but if you can, if you can find that, please do and watch it. I think we mentioned it last week as a matter of fact. Oh, did we? Fuck. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, this time I really mean it. Um, (laughs) It's not that he slid down the slide or that he, uh, you know, um, 
sent himself off, pushed off is is a pretty specific turn of phrase for, you know, when discussing another character who was pushed off a bridge and hung and actually was dead. So, uh, so do we think first of all, that Finn, if this was all imaginary or do we think that he lives? And at what point was it imaginary? That's the other question. Um, I'm a, I, I'm fairly literal when, when it comes to reading my stories, I love discussing the what ifs and the maybes and what if this was the intention and, and all that stuff. But I, I pretty much, unless I'm given really explicit evidence to the contrary, uh, uh, take what I get and assume that's the truth. Um, so in, in my mind, it, you know, he is really there and this is him dealing with the trauma of, of what he went through. Cause this is like, you know, no shit. This is like him getting kidnapped by, by Jack Bauer. Right. You know, and, and just interrogated and tortured and beaten to a pulp and waterboarded and, and all that. So that would shake anybody. I do also though, acknowledge that they wouldn't be bringing up that whole, and by they, I mean, Stephen King, of course, wouldn't be bringing up the, the Ambrose Beers um, parallel for no reason. Right. Right. So the fact that he even interjects it as, as an option probably tells you that, that you're supposed to interpret it that way, at least as ambiguously as, as, uh, as that is meant to be uh, taken. But I like the idea of a guy that's just unlucky and, you know, and goes through, he's like the anti domino from the Marvel yeah. universe. Right. Um, and maybe it's just cause I'm fascinated by a character like that. I think the most unlucky thing for him wouldn't be that he would be out of his misery. So, so, you know, I don't know, maybe that's where, where, where I am on this one, that the, the worst possible thing for, for him, the, the unlucky thing to keep a streak going was that, you know, all that did happen. And now he's got to, you know, go on to the next thing and live his life to the next, you know, awful moment. Get screwed by some other thing. Yeah. Andy, what do you think? Yeah, I'm honestly not sure. And there's a there's a point in the story, uh, I think about halfway through, where he has a dream and he dreams of the of this park. And so I, you could maybe make an and this is uh I think this is I'm trying to remember if this was after I think this is after the waterboarding. Mm-hmm. So I think you could maybe make a case that that's if you, if you think he's dead, that maybe that's where he died, you know, and everything since then it started with, uh, or, or was dying, you know, and was out. And he started with a dream of this park that, you know, held a big, uh, part of his life uh, of his childhood, uh, because he broke his arm there. And, and everything after that is basically them letting him go. Right. So, so maybe it, that's it, do, where it does seem like a bridge too far to go. These guys that have worked under this dude suddenly go, well, it's too, it's a, you know, a bridge too far. You know, it's too much that we're going to watch him like poison this kid. You know, uh, see, it, see it is a weird jump. Yeah. I, well, that the weirdness in that, I think, is I think there's a perfectly valid theory you could present here that when that Finn ate the breakfast. That that's mm-hmm. the the point in the story where his luck turns around. I think if I think if he's dead, and this is a dream, the the point the the split occurs at that breakfast, because all the the luck he experiences over the next you know hour or two within the the reality of the story is uh completely unlike anything he's encountered before. Right. Right. So 
that's his luck turning around. That's that's the dream, you know. Um, them, them slapping the fork out of his hand is the equivalent yes. of the rope breaking and and uh, yeah, yeah, that character getting away and you know, yeah, in Outbridge, yeah, yeah. I I could we'll see have to that. tweet it. We'll have to tweet it, King, and get him to t- tell everybody. Yes, yeah. he'll never do <laughs> That'll it. Work. He'll, he'll, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Look, I think it's very cool that this is a pretty. I want it, it's a fairly nothing story. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't get me wrong. I actually I enjoyed it. I just I enjoyed yes. King's writing, and it was a fun read, and I read it uh, you know a couple times. But absent this sort of discussion of that we're having now, there's not a lot of meat on it. It's just right. sort of a you know there's just sort of a short story and there's not a, there's not a big theme or anything like that, that I could uh, right. discern anyway. Um, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it um, a nothing story so much no, as a lark was, because yeah, no, that right. That's what I meant. Yeah. Yes. And I know you yes. weren't trying to, you know, be a dick about it, but you know, no, I, I, I really, I, that's just how, it, where my brain is at on it. And which is supported by how goddamn funny the thing is. Like it's the funniest thing I think I've read from King in, in many years, you know, there's certainly funny stuff in all of his books here and there, but this, well, most of his books, but this, this is almost like a Coen brothers riff or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have, you know, the funniest, there were two obviously funny things. And, but the one I thought was the funniest was, uh, you know, they're, they're blaring this music at it. It's (laughs) uh, it's ACDC and stuff like that. And then at Mm -hmm. one point the old guy says, uh, because Finn had a, a Nazareth t-shirt on. He says, we can arrange some Nazareth if you'd like, you being a fan and all. And then the book says, and with what sounded grotesquely like pride, we have Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I just like the thought of, you know, Spotify being used to torture this poor kid was just, <laughs> and, and the guy being sort of proud that they have Spotify, yeah. uh, I thought was absolutely hilarious. So there was that, and then there was also the uh, the pamphlet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the, <laughs> I forgot about the pamphlet. Oh, the yeah. pamphlet is fantastic. The pamphlet is like the 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 crime boss guy. I, if I remember correctly, it's like his rules for torture or something, or like what is and <laughs> yes. isn't okay. And they're all like, you know, it's it's kind of childishly written, and there's typos all through it and shit, or it's misspelled and. Uh, yeah, it's like it, one of the one of the many warning signs that whoever you know this crime boss guy is that Finn is dealing with is just a a complete lunatic, or you know um, he's dealing with someone who's like not a very uh, maturely minded person. <laughs> it's <laughs> I forgot about that when we started talking about this, but yeah, that was that was really yeah. Funny. It has like it has a list of things that are okay, and it's like open handed slaps, okay with an exclamation point, <laughs> yeah. and then it's like sleep deprivation techniques, you know, okay, deprivation <laughs> enemas, okay, you know, and then it gets to like there's one. There's only one. It says fist hitting, foot paddling, burning with cigarettes or lighters, rape and sexual abuse. Not okay. (laughs) (laughs) And then that's, so that's the seventh one. And then the eighth one is if not specifically mentioned, probably okay. (laughs) (laughs) So it's really funny. And the other thing is, you know, the other sign that this guy is maybe not, you know, is maybe shy a few marbles is he uses the names of well-known spy novel writers as his pseudonyms mm. uh he, used, he uses ludlum and uh and uh dayton len dayton mm-hmm. um 
So it's just, there's these little things. Yeah. I mean, there's these things all throughout where this guy is like, like maybe he used to be, you know, the shit and maybe he used to be like the head of MI5 or something like that. Or right. Something, something in Ireland. But, uh, but he's clearly, you know, he's, he's lost his edge, I think is the nicest way of putting it. Yeah. And that's all fascinating. That That's, you know, just great kind of world building that King does here because it's such a, you know, the, this isn't, this is a guy that like, I believe it when they said like, we saved the world like 10 years ago or whatever, like, so, but he's kind of gone off his rocker and he's like off step, but like, it's enough to make me believe that the person that they were tracking wasn't just some random like victim that, you know, they had their sights set on. Like in my mind, I'm going, maybe that person that did look like Finn actually was planning on planting a, a bomb or something, right? Which is what they're they're talking about, which then my mind instantly went to like Mr. Bad Luck Guy. Every time he has good luck, it leads to bad luck. So I thought that when, upon release, he goes to the park and the park is what is where the bomb was going to be or something. Like <laughs> right. that, That's kind of what was going on in my mind. And, that would have been good. Yeah, but then, yeah, King King had to go and be all classy on me and go ambiguous. <laughs> yeah. Even the fact that it takes place in Ireland is kind of a joke. You know, luck of the Irish and all that. Right. Here, here's yeah, clearly here's the, the living embodiment of the opposite of the Blarney Stone, just getting put through his paces by these, like, again, like Coen Brothers-esque <laughs> henchmen and crime balls. Yeah. And I, just by... I, I was going to say, just by King setting it there was kind of funny because you're not you like the story starts and you kind of assume, uh, oh, this must be somewhere in Maine or yeah, I did, you know, one of his usual haunts, and then you and it's like, oh, it's probably just an Irish neighborhood. I remember was my first thought when they started with the names, <laughs> and then eventually I was mm-hmm. like, this is a lot more than an Irish neighborhood. Yeah, 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 an entire country, in fact. Yeah. <laughs> Big, I really, I really like this, and um, I, the the humor in it was what I responded to the most. I, I understand, and I agree that it's it's very, you know, it's not a substantial thing, but um, it just felt like a little caper to me, and and I really, I really enjoyed that about it. It surprised me. It's been a it's been a while since he did something that felt like darkly satirical, right. and and yeah. so that was that was a very pleasant surprise. Oh, yeah. So Mr. Bobby Zombie has once again ushered us into the mid-roll ad read. Nice. My turn to start, and I'm going to start by telling you good folks about Mac Weldon. It's no secret we all want to look our best this spring, right? Mac Weldon is the expert when it comes to stylish essentials perfect for the new season. Whether you want to upgrade your sweats collection or need gear that stands up to the changing weather, Mac Weldon has exactly what you're looking for. And if that's not convenient enough, let me tell you about Mac Weldon's daily wear system. That's all the clothes that work together for real. So whether you're headed to work, going for a run, or just hanging on the couch, getting dressed takes no effort at all. Now, Scott and I live in Texas, which is seeing record heat waves. And mm. uh, also, I might add, we are extremely lazy, which means neither one of us uh, is planning on uh, any outdoor activities anytime soon. Uh, that's uh, not true. I've got a whole vacation planned. Okay, so the lazy part still still remains true, but you're you're still crazy yes. for, for going outdoors. We, we're hitting like a solid 10 days of 100 plus degree weather here. Oh, uh, yeah. It's I, will gonna not, be... I, will, I will not be leaving air conditioning. Well, I'll tell you what, baby. 
yeah. probably going to have a few drinks in me. And also I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to look like Mark Zuckerberg with the suntan lotion. So <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. All right. Yeah. So you're, you're going to be prepared. My point still stands in that, yes. uh, our need for sweatshirts is probably going to be over until about November or so. Uh, but one, we all, we recognize not everybody has to put up with the hellscape that is our Texas summer. And two, we also, love a good comfy uh, sweatpants and we have come to depend on them since March of 2020 for, for some, when some they, reason that when I they became remember. the official uh, uh, uniform of the King cast. <laughs> you sweatpants and the t-shirt, baby. That's, that's me. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those who can actually leave their houses for things like exercise, make sure to check out Mac Weldon's Atlas jogger, half zip and full zip jacket sets. They're made from eco-responsible fabric that is also comfortable and water resistant to boot. And you can do that by going to macweldon.com slash the Kingcast and save 20% off your first order when you enter in the promo code Kingcast. Again, that's macweldon.com slash Kingcast, promo code Kingcast for 20% off. Find your perfect look for this spring. Very nice. Nicely done. Uh, and I, of course, am here to tell you once again about our friends over at Naughty Bits. Uh, Earmuffs. Ear- <laughs> yes. Uh, your sex toys may do the job, but are they fun? Naughty Bits are high quality, beautifully designed sex toys. True. I can vouch for that. But most of all, they will make you smile downstairs and up. Can also vouch for that. With a wide selection of bedside products to get you off, like the skull shaped bonehead vibrator, or the yum bum ice cream cone butt plug, or the bad bitch, the motherfucker, the screwnicorn, the cumball machine, or the suck buddy. Naughty Bits puts the F.U. back in fun. Ask for them at your favorite stores and check out the whole collection at MyNaughtyBits.com. You know, I received a care package from the Naughty Bits folks, Eric. And oh, it is, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm aware. And you've hoarded your uh, your I've treasure like a slutty smaug. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, the uh, yeah, I'm like the butt plug. The ice cream cone butt plug is uh, Gollum's ring in this scenario. Yeah. Um, I thought about I thought about maybe bringing a few of them and handing them out as door prizes at the uh, recent appearance we did at the Overlook Film Fest. But it seemed like it might be a little too suggestive uh, for strangers, uh, despite how horny that movie was. So, <laughs> right. So I refrained, but um, probably a good idea that we also met some uh, some listeners who brought their their tween age uh, children to the event, which uh, yeah, which yeah. you know, one respect to them, uh, but two. Imagine if they if you had done like a raffle or something and you ended up like giving a butt plug to an 11 year old that probably uh, would yeah, put you I, on like 18 different lists. Yeah, even. I imagine that would be bad news for us. So <laughs> I, I'm glad I belayed that idea. But um, and that just means more f- to keep and keep for your own personal uh, my arsenal. And I can I can absolutely vouch now for the quality of these products and um, their overall success. You you are going to have fun with these things one way or another. So uh, visit our friends over at my naughty bits com to uh you know get involved hell yeah well speaking about getting involved i think we should get back into this epic fin discussion what about you let's do it something i want to talk about before we close the uh discussion out is this thing that king does sometimes where he gets to be ahead of the curve like he like put put out one of the first Kindle exclusive titles, right? That was Ur U R. Yeah. Yep. Um, and and here he is. You know, there's this new platform which is Scribd, which is kind of like um, Audible, I guess. And you know, look at King is like 
sure, here, have this short story. And now I'm sure that, that this story will, there, there'll be another short story collection probably in the next two or three years. That tends to be the difference. That's when Ur popped up. Ewer, I don't know how to pronounce it. I think it's just Ur. Ur. It's where Ur popped up. I think it is because I listened to that one on audio. And oh, I believe yeah, yeah. that's how it was how it was spoken. I that. just read it, so I had to figure it out in my brain, and that means it's gonna be wrong. Um yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I think it's really fascinating how King is willing to play with the delivery of these stories, you know, like that, or even with Green Mile and breaking it up into serialized releases or like I, to, to me, this is what you get when you get somebody that's like King that's at the, just like, he's got nothing to lose. Right. It's like, right. It doesn't matter to him. if 10,000 people only sign up to, to scribd or whatever to, to read the story. He doesn't care. You know, it's like, it's going to get out there. It's going to find an audience. Um, but I think it's fascinating. I don't know if there's a question in there, but, but uh, uh, it's something I wanted to highlight. No, I think you're, no. I think you're right to bring it up. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And it's a good point, especially, you know, bringing up Ur and stuff like that, where it's, it's sort of like, you know, a lot of times you would expect an author of, of King's age to sort of not be, you know, not be hip to the new ways of publishing, but he has been sort of throughout his career, you know, and that Ur was like a big, I remember when I got my first Kindle and I was, you know, and that was like preloaded on it or whatever. And I was like, this, I, that's, I think that's one of the reasons I bought it. I think it worked on me, you know, and again, and using something like Scribd and maybe, maybe I'm reading too much into this. Maybe this is like, you know, King's publicist dealt with this and he it was like, yeah, I don't care, do whatever. But it does also kind of feel like like the guy is like savvy about, uh, you know, newer ways of publishing and other ways of publishing and is not afraid of them. Yeah. And and again, that goes back to, you know, even what you said about the Green Mile, you know, with, with the serializing it and stuff like that. Um, it, it's just it's a guy who, yeah, yes, he can obviously, you know, he comes from a at this point in his career, he's at a great a place of great privilege and can pretty much do what he wants, but he could also just sit back and do nothing. And right. yeah, he's not, he's taking these chances and doing these things. And, you know, again, he has the ability to do that and, you know, let it roll off his back, but right. it's also cool that he's doing it because he really, he wouldn't have, he doesn't have to, you know, he could just yeah. keep churning out, a book a year. And instead, even the, the crime stuff that you brought up, the, the hard case books, you know, yeah. that's sort of a different thing for him. Oh, and, for sure. And it's just, it's very cool that he's like open to all these different things. And, you know, he kind of has been through his whole career and, and it's just cool that he continues to be that way. Right. I hope he, I he also knows what the value of his name is. And that's the, and he's using that to help people. The hard case crime thing you mentioned is a very, uh, apt example. You know, we just had the editor in chief uh, of that magazine, the publisher uh, Charles Ardai. We just interviewed him for the Patreon that was last week's Patreon episode, and he was very upfront about how you know they've put out something like 150 books now, and and uh, their top sellers are still the three Stephen Kings, and like they wouldn't have been able to last as a company without the popularity of Stephen King bringing readers, you know, to buy their books, right. Um, and, you know, that's something that, you know, that's good. You know, I don't know. Something that I, I've always appreciated with King is that he's how willing he is to kind of pay it forward a little bit. No, he's in a, that position to help out. You know, he could have released any of those books, you know, just through his regular publisher and, you know, had them on every shelf at every bookstore. But, uh, you know, he was willing to, to go with a small time publisher because he just liked what they were trying to do. 
one thing that hasn't been mentioned in this entire conversation about no. you know the the technology aspects of what he's doing in terms of releasing is that I'm sure it's just him being savvy. You know, he's a he's a pretty sharp guy. Um, but also, I think if I had to venture a guess, he probably looks at this and thinks you want people to read, right? Yeah. And there's going to be new formats and exactly people are going to embrace this, this and this. You got to you got to be on those places for people to find him. And and by using his name in some of these locations, I think he's keeping people reading in different ways or in ways that sure. they're comfortable doing that they might not be doing elsewhere. And, you know, I I bet that's at the heart of the whole the whole thing. Just yeah. it's a great point. Absolutely. And I would even say that I was going to say even with the Amazon thing with 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 or with the Kindle, like at that point in time, Amazon was not the gigantic, you know, monopolist basically that it is now. Mm-hmm. Amazon was, you know, you would, that's where you would maybe go to get books if you, you know, if you weren't near a bookstore or something like that. And then they came out with this Kindle, which at the time was, you know, the first was a risk. It was the first real e-reader, you know, of any seriousness on the market. The point is, I sort of feel like he was doing that even back then. And it's hard to think of that now because Amazon is now, you know, Amazon. But it wasn't at the time. It probably was a little bit bigger than Scribd is now or something like that. But it also was in a similar situation. It was introducing this new piece of tech, you know, that was aimed at getting people to read books. Maybe King would have felt differently about it if he'd known what Amazon was going to turn into, but there was <laughs> no way for him to know that at the time. And right. I think he was doing exactly what you said, you know, with regard to Scribd. I think he was doing the exact same thing back then. He was like, look, this is a new format for people to read. You know, we, I want people reading books. And so I'm going to help it out. The yeah. audience has changed for for this kind of thing. They They expect their entertainment to be brought to them, not for them to go seek it out anymore. Right. right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so especially sure. a writer like King, you know, yes, there's always going to be people who feel at home and love bookstores. The majority of, of the populace, though, if they're reading, they want it, you know, they want it sent to their iPad. They want it sent to their Kindle. They want it now. They want it streaming. They want to pay a fee and not have to buy individual titles. They just want to pay a fee to have access to everything or whatever. You know, it's like that's just the way the subscription model and shit. That's just the way people consume their media now. And uh, so it, it's really smart of him to, to do this, not just as a, you know, a, a, a charitable, you know, yes, he, this new service can have an exclusive story that'll drive up subscriptions and drive up people reading, but also kind of knowing that, you know, he's still, he's going to be the thing that's associated with that. He's going to be kind of in on the ground floor and still be relevant as a, uh, you know, as a force of uh, uh, out there in, in the book world. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And look, I already know, it's going to take me months if to remember to cancel my subscription <laughs> right. to Scribd. Yeah, they're, they're going to get at least a couple I, of months out, out of me by accident. I can signed up it. for the trial to read this. And, you know, so look, it worked. They, they're going to get some money out of me because as soon as this podcast ends, I'm going to completely forget that I subscribe to Scribd. And I'm not, <laughs> not going to go cancel it before the trial period is up. And, and they're going to get money from me. So good for them. <laughs> well done, Scribd and Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> now, something else I wanted to talk about in relation to this story is yeah, yeah. Uh, the the concept of luck. And I'm I'm curious uh, how you gentlemen feel. Like, do you consider mm. yourselves lucky people or particularly lucky, unlucky, somewhere up the middle? I would say, look, I, don't, I mean, of <laughs> course, life has its ups and downs. Yes. You know, yes. like I have Finn had, is an I extreme had, example. I have had a Finn-like run the last 
uh, <laughs> three or four years. I think but we all I, have. <laughs> but I would say prior to that, uh, not as bad as me. I am fucking Job, buddy. Um, so, uh, um, but prior to that, like weird, lucky things would happen to me. I, I'm talking like decades ago or whatever. Like I would be, you know, I would I would be low on money or something like that, and I would go to the mailbox and there would be some random check that I'd completely forgotten about would be in there, like at just the perfect time. Right. You know? And that's so, cool. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing when it happens. Uh and it restores your faith faith in the universe for, you know, a good 10, 15 minutes. And <laughs> but uh so you know, I, I think I would have put myself middle of the road, which I think is where most people are. Um yeah. and uh but uh, but no that which is what makes the concept of of the Finn character I think so interesting is that this is a guy who you know at least from what we're told has had nothing but bad luck and it's his is it his grandmother who says that it, it yes. you know every time every time there's bad luck you know it, it's going to come back as good luck eventually like yeah. a thousandfold or something like that right right which is a great sentiment uh, <laughs> yeah don't don't necessarily yeah. believe it but I do love the idea of like luck being kind of a commodity or uh, there's like a pool there's it's kind of like an economy of luck I guess is the way to to, to put it so there are people that I've seen that are just fucking lucky people, you know, whether it's videos of people narrowly missing, getting hit by a train or, you know, being oblivious and walking into traffic and pulling like a, a Charlie Chaplin or Buster Keaton and walking in between all the zooming cars. And that <laughs> yeah. kind of shit. You know, that that's an insane amount of, of luck. So if you're thinking about that, you know, say that there's only a certain amount of luck in the world. So the really, there are really lucky people there. Are, most of us are right in the middle who have as much good luck as bad luck. And then there's gotta be, if there's super lucky people, there's gotta be super unlucky people, <laughs> right. right? Essentially the super lucky people are taking from, from the, the, <laughs> that pool of luck. I don't know. There's, there's something insanely that's, interesting and funny about that to me. No, that's a fascinating uh, concept that there's like yeah. a finite, and a set supply of luck in the universe. Right. I love yeah, that. So if you actually. have a millionaire, that means you got to have, you know, a, a bunch of homeless people, you know? Right. That's a so, great hmm. take for us. That'd be a great story. I think the, that's how you adapt this. I think maybe if you want to flesh out this world or something like I could see that being a TV series, actually something that like Brian Fuller would be super, super good for, you know, exploring this whole concept of luck as a commodity or whatever. Right. Yeah. And like what, and what happens when the universe starts running out of it completely? Yep. Like, does that, is that when the apocalypse occurs? Perhaps. Yeah. You know, right. it would well, sort of have then, to be right. Yeah. Cause that, you could have like the Jeff Bezos, you know, ver- the, the, the lucky Jeff Bezos <laughs> and Elon Musk are the ones that just like are hoarding all the luck for themselves. Someone's going to steal this fucking idea, man. We, but can we keep giving away universe- gold on this show, and I am tired of it. <laughs> but can the, okay, but hear me out. Can the universe yes. run out of it, or is it like almost like a uh, like a scientific concept, like that there is X amount of luck in in the universe? Okay, here's, here's luck is like oils. What you're saying that eventually it'll be out it's for like, everybody. It's like um, it's just it's like gravity. It's like a it's like a it's like a uh, it's a scientific thing. Like right. luck is a scientific yeah. principle and it exists throughout the universe. But I think that if I were doing that, like if I were show running this, I think I would try to do it as like maybe maybe an anthology series, you know, uh, to set up like, uh, you know, hour long episodes, maybe that, you know, here's a really lucky person. Here's an unlucky person. Here's 
here, you know, different stories of luck, you know, with Finn probably being the first one. And then I think you could also do a thing with it, maybe for like a second season where now you flip sides of it and you see that what's going on here is that the whoever is controlling the universe, be it some sort of deity or some alien technology we can't possibly understand or, or you know, even a, say, a computer simulation. Right. We now flip sides and discover that, okay, we're running out of luck. And then you could kind of flip back and forth between the two and see how that's affecting the lives of the characters you've already mm. met. And, you know, and it's about what happens when the universe runs out of luck completely. You know, right. um, and you end with the apocalypse. That's probably what <laughs> I pitch it as a two season, two season. There is no luck anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's it, when what's re- really interesting to me is how closely you can tie it to, you know, the current class system and and stuff like that, because you look at, at the economy. And I remember during the recession when people were losing their homes, like my mom was losing her home during that. It was a huge uh, point of stress, you know, you would hear people like Warren Buffett talk and go and, you know, they were like, well, you know, billionaires are going to be losing too because the stock market's out. And then Warren Buffett's like all the pe- real people with money here, they love recessions because that is where they gain their wealth. It's not, it's not during the good times. It's it, they maintain their wealth during good times, but they gain it during when, uh, you know, their luck is when other people are unlucky. That's when they buy up real estate cheap. That's when they, you know, then they sell it high. They buy stocks cheap and sell high. You know, it's just like so other people's misfortune is always to the benefit of somebody, usually with more money. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know. There's there's a good parallel there. And I, I think that there's there's a smart like severance style, like <clears throat> skewering of, uh, you know, of the class system that can be done with within this framework. Also, you could do an episode set in Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there's like, you can see like luck on a, like, a, a, like the aura of luck and just like Vegas is just nothing but shroud and, and bright spots and shrouds. Or, or you just and, right. it, like as, as the luck is running out in the universe, people stop going to Vegas and it just becomes this waste right. of, a, of a town. Oh man, that's a, oh, that's a fucking great right? <laughs> I was going to say like. What if like th- that's an a- th- this is like a-, a funny episode of the show where <laughs> some let's say it's a simulation, right? Something goes on, goes wrong with the computer that day. And so it starts swapping the luck of people in Vegas or ratcheting it up r- too high and like bankrupting casinos. And it's just like caught <laughs> wrecking havoc all over the goddamn place. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. But I'm thinking like. So you have two people at a roulette table and all the luck is gone and one puts all their money on red and one puts it all on black and they spin the wheel and the ball lands in between the numbers or something because the, yeah. can, the double zero, right? Because no, the, just nobody can win. Right. Not even the house. Well, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that the house can't win either. Right. Well, the house, would I don't know. To, I don't play well, roulettes. I mean, yeah, they take your money. Either. You place your bet. Well, know. in order for for the they would have to nullify the the the, the thing. So like the so 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 like it in keep, craps, it keeps happening. Yeah, so like and in craps, like like it, they'll nullify a roll if one of the dice leaves the table or whatever. You know what I mean? Or right. they throw the dice and they all land on you know precariously somehow like the tops and in Inception or whatever, and they're all on the the but it, land on but the it edge and happens shit. over yeah. and over again. And finally, uh, Nicholas Cage, who is playing a professor. <laughs> realizes that something's going on with all the luck in the universe. 
we got to get lucky. That's the tagline. <laughs> That's what it's called. It's called get lucky. Yeah. <laughs> or, or it's just called Sitting S-O-L. on a fucking gold mine with this show. I'm telling you, you need the right person to listen to it. And and here's the here's the final question I have for for discussions purposes. And Eric, we may have actually answered this on another show from like a slightly different angle, but like, what's the the most dangerous position you've ever found yourself in very suddenly where like you're in a room that you shouldn't be in, or, you know, you've, you've encountered someone in the street where you got a vibe like, holy shit, I might get stabbed. Or, you know, I I assume none of us have been kidnapped because that's all we would ever talk about. And rightfully (laughs) so. Um, I did. And I fell in love with my captors as you do. (laughs) Yeah, you've you're celebrating twenty together this year, <laughs> right. right? Yeah, yeah. You've, you've met my wife. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> um, but does anything come to mind on that? Like, have you ever found yourself unluckily in a place where you're like, "Holy shit, I'm in danger, and I got to get out of here"? Huh. I, when I was in college, uh, over one summer, I'm going to pull the Harvard thing. I went to school in New York City. Um, fancy and fancy lad. Uh, over a summer, I was working as a a waiter. I stayed in the city and I was working at a waiter down at South Street Seaport at a place called Pedro O'Hara's. Um, and it sounds right out of this book. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, (laughs) and we used to, you know, if you worked a night shift, we'd get off around like, I don't know, two, three in the morning because it's New York and you, you know, things stay open late. And then we would inevitably go to a bar that was frequented mostly by uh, sort of fishmongers and longshoremen. Um, yes. And it would stay open all night. And we'd drink and whatever and we'd get hammered. And so this happened one night. So at like four or five in the morning, I get on the subway to go back uptown and I need to be on the one train to get off at 116th Street, but I'm on the express which is fine. And I'm just supposed to change at 96th. Well, I fell asleep slash passed out on the train and I woke (laughs) up at 125th street and Lenox Avenue, which back in the day was not a very good place for a white person to find themselves. Right. And, uh, and I had no money on me because I had spent it all at the bar. And all I kept thinking was, well, that that makes it worse. Cause if someone comes up to me, I'm gonna have to say, yeah, I have no money, and they're not gonna believe me. Right. You know? So I'm gonna I'm gonna pay for that, uh, even though it's the truth. Um, and so that because the problem was, you had to exit the subway station and cross the street to get to the downtown, and so it was a whole thing. And obviously, I'm fine. And also, probably there was nothing wrong with the neighborhood, and I was just being a dumbass white boy in college thinking, Oh my God, I'm in a place where I'm not supposed to be. But regardless, that was like one time in my life where I was like, yeah, this, this could go pear shaped pretty quickly. (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. Um, how did you, so you go down the, the, the the other staircase on the other side of the street. Like you didn't have any money. You just, it okay. got more convoluted. I got, I got to the other side and, uh, you know, and I crossed the street and, and took the stairs down to the downtown side thinking I'll just go back. And mm-hmm. I had no money. And there was, uh, there was no one in the 
in the subway booth because I was like, I figured if I just said, please, you know, it explained the situation, but there was no one there. And I couldn't get, like, I couldn't even jump the turnstile because it was gates. Mm-hmm. And so I had to go back up and go back to the uptown side, at which point I explained there was a person on duty there. And I, I explained the situation and they were like, look, I'll let you back in, but you're going to have to ride uptown. And then, you know, up in the Bronx, you'll be able to transfer back to the downtown. And that's what I ended up doing. And it was, it hmm. was fine. Like it was fine. Right. You know, but it was one of those things as it's going on, I'm like, this will be a good story if I survive the night. You know, live to fight another day. Here yeah. I am telling it on the world famous Kingcast. Yes. <laughs> Best be one about you. I'm a, you know, this kind of goes back to your previous question. I, I think that like, I'm definitely fairly lucky as a person Obviously, there's a lot of uh, bad luck that's run. You know, I've been laid off before at, at, the, at the absolute worst time. You know, yeah. I've, I've, had, I've had some like chronic pain issues, you know, some medical shit. You know, that's definitely not lucky. But, uh, you know, I don't know, man. It's like I got to, you know, have spent my life talking about things that I love and, you know, making a living. You know, mm-hmm. I, I got to buy a house, you know, and before the the housing market in Austin went, you know, absolutely fucking bananas. And, mm-hmm. you know, so, you know, I, I think that, you know, I'm definitely playing with the house's money still at this point, but through the most part, like, I, I think a lot of it, those, I, I don't, I set myself up to be lucky. If you know, know what I mean? You know, right. it's like it, to, to put it into a kind of a, a format, you can understand. You saw how I, you know, on top of like the travel stuff I was on this, this new Orleans mm-hmm. thing, like that's just my default. Like when I'm traveling, it's like, I make sure to check in, you know, in advance, I make sure to, to scope out what upgrades there are I make sure to, you right. know, examine the layovers if I can, if, <clears throat> you know, and try to avoid situations where it's going to make travel difficult. Right. There's always stuff that's going to be out of your hands, but so many people I know, you know, have nightmare travel stories and I can, you know, but I, a lot of these people, not everybody, obviously, you know, there, there is, you know, a, a luck component, you, you know, I'm not flying the plane, <laughs> you know, I'm not, the one, you know, the maintenance guy taking care of the planes that that, that break and whatnot. But right, uh, right. you know, you, but you can't make your own put, luck. I know what you mean. You can put yourself up in put yourself in the best scenario for bad uh, luck situations. I guess is what I'm saying. And uh, and I guess that's kind of been my default since I was a kid. So I haven't really found myself in anything like you know unbelievably scary. I do remember when I was a young young kid. Uh, that my grandmother got mugged um, in front of me. Uh, and I, I think I must've been six or seven mm-hmm. at the time. And, uh, and it was this dude that like, he asked her something like she was dropping me off at my apartment and, and uh, uh, he, he was, he was a, a, an African-American guy and she was incredibly racist. So I just assumed that her attitude towards him was even at that age, I was, I was uh, uh, clocking, you know, her, you know, my grandparents kind of blatant racism yes. and, and whatever weird, scared feelings that, that I felt coming off of her. I just associated with my understanding of what racism was at that age, which wasn't very nuanced, but it was enough to make me just kind of dismiss it. And, uh, um, but yeah, I guess she, you know, I don't know if, if she sent something or whatever, but like he asked her a question and she was kind of cold and was, you know, kind of told she wasn't rude or anything, but she was just like, she told him like, no, I don't know. And we were walking away and I look back over my shoulder and I see him look around and then like, a, like a villain in a, like a, a bully in a movie or something. He like punches his, his like a uh, 
his fist, you know, into his open hand, like he's getting ready, like pop up and then again, get ready to swing. And mm-hmm. I saw him do that. And he then swings and hits her in the back of the head, punches God, her as hard damn. as he can. Oof. She falls to the ground and he grabs her purse and runs. But what I remember from racing not and, cured on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Her, yeah. her, uh, her, yeah. Her racist tendencies were, were, uh, she, she felt that that felt justified in, in that. Yes. I'm sure going forward, she never said as much, but knowing her, we I'm, all know. I'm sure. I never even met her. I'm, I'm sure of it. <laughs> and she's, uh, but I, the thing that I remember very much about this thing more than the glimpse of the guy, uh, there's two things that like are seared into my memory. You got, I don't know if it's trauma or just, you know, a heightened event and it's always going to be there is the way she screamed my name because she thought he was taking me. She, she thought he, oh. was, he wasn't grabbing her purse. He, she thought that uh, he was kidnapping me. Mm. Um, and he, you know, he had no desire <laughs> design on me. He just, you know, grabbed the purse and ran or whatever. But yeah, no, the sheer panic in her voice is, uh, is something that's always going to stick with me. And the other thing that's seared into my memory is that they actually had cops show up. And I, they did the thing where they were asking me like for a description of him and like they had a sketch of like a sketch artist like uh, there to do to do that drawing of the suspect which i thought was something that you know looking back at him like i think that's only things that happen in movies but it happened then and i remember like describing going i can't really you know not thinking i did a good job and then like seeing the sketch that this person made and looked exactly like this guy and i was just like holy crap that's crazy so those are my two memories from from that event right that, but huh. that's the only thing that popped up when you when you when you asked me. I'm you know I mean I've had bad luck with tires you know fucking blowing out and yeah you know uh, my mom got in car accidents you know when she was driving me around uh, as a teenager where it was bad enough for the ambulance to have to you know I sprained my ankle really bad they thought it was broken and right and, and all that but it's I don't know like it, it that that's what jumped into my mind with that was that moment when uh, my grandma was mugged. Hmm. I on the whole I would say it evens out. But there there's like qualifications to that. Like, I think a lot of little things happen to me that feel like bad luck. But I also have a lot of like big things happen to me that are good luck. Right. You know, and I think those probably even out across the board. And oftentimes what I have found is that when something unlucky happens to me, I find myself in a sticky situation. um, I find a way out of it very quickly. You know, having spent the majority of my twenties as a um, as just a full blown junkie, uh, I've you, you know developed, and also from being a mis- uh, mischievous teenager who was always into some sort of shenanigans and needing to talk right. his way out of those, you know, I got very well skilled at the art of extricating myself from a bad situation without taking any serious damage. You know what I mean? And that's that's sort of an interesting wrinkle in there. Huh. And in, in terms of being in a super dangerous scenario, I won't. I won't say the uh, the the look. I'm not going to give you any details on this story for a variety <laughs> of reasons. But I once found myself in a room with way too many drugs in it, um, more than I had ever seen in my life. Like more than I've ever seen in my life to this day. Like. Like, you know, like sometimes they'll like catch like some janky sub off the coast of fucking Florida or something that's like got a bunch of shit in it. And then there's like a picture after the fact of like the the shitty interior of the sub. And you're like, how the fuck did that guy make that trip? And then there's also a photo of like whatever their the, you know, the DEA's haul was wasn't quite like that, but in the neighborhood. And um, 
I remember like seeing it on a table and being like, I have to get out of this fucking room right now. That's like just being in this room is so highly illegal. <laughs> like <laughs> if somebody came, if the wrong person came to that door right now, like I would be going to prison for decades, you know? So it was like, I was there for picking up something and um, saw it and was like, be right back. Left my wallet in my car and uh, took off. Like, <laughs> like I'm not, uh, I, I couldn't do it. You know, it scared the ever loving shit out of me. And I knew that if there was like that sort of shit going on in this location, then there was probably other shit going on there. There were probably a bunch of guns on hand, you know, shit like that. That was pretty, that was a pretty spicy one. But, hmm. you know, nothing bad happened, but it it just really rattled me. If you ever see right, something like that in person, it's well, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you didn't like my party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, things were crazy, but it was fine. It all ended up fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've been in those those situations. There's been a couple in, in my life where it's just like there's just something instantly your stomach just turned sour and you just know it's bad news that yes, uh, there, there was one case where I was over at like a friend's house and like as a, like a tween, like must've been 10 or 11 ish. And, uh, and they like their parents somehow left us. There was like a, a small group of kids. So the, the kid who lived there was like, Hey, you know, let's go look, look in here and, and look in their parents' room. And he found like their fucking gun. And we're like, oh, like, was like, Oh, check out the gun. And like, I was like instantly like, I have to be out of this room. I just like, this is bad news city. And uh, yeah, so it was, it was just, I had that fucking pit of my, my stomach feeling saying, Nope, get out. And you, you know, they can shoot themselves if they want. Uh, they can play around with that gun <laughs> yeah. if they want, but uh but you're going to go spend the rest of this time in the living room. Uh, <laughs> but if I was Finn, then I would have gone in the living room and the gun would have gone off and through the wall and like hit me in the shoulder or something. So I also, that just reminded me that uh, just back to the story for a minute, there's another really funny part when they first kidnap him and he's mm. trying to explain that they have the wrong guy. And he goes through a whole explanation of, of how he's had bad luck his whole life. <laughs> and that this is just another example of that. <laughs> yeah. And it's such a hilarious, like it would be a great, as you guys were saying, it would be a great Coen brothers scene or something where mm-hmm. he's just the guy you've just kidnapped is now telling you his life story and leading you through every time he had bad luck. And then he, like he <laughs> ends with the time that he, you know, got singed by the lightning and fell and, and had the concussion. And he's <laughs> like, and the, you know, the, he thinks to himself, I could keep going, but that seems like a good one to end on. <laughs> it was just a really it was a really funny part of the story it's like the the chunk scene in goonies when yeah, whenever they ask him to do <laughs> tell us everything everything all right <laughs> um this is usually the point in the show where uh, we allow our guests to you know tease whatever they're working on next promote whatever you know they're working on now draw attention can to I just, can whatever i just bring up is. one more thing from the story yeah of course yeah sure uh, cause I, this might be reading way too much into things, but so the name of the guy that, that Finn bumps into is Bobby Feeney. And, right. uh, I thought there were a couple of things like, uh, you know, doesn't take a genius to know that King has a thing for doppelgangers and mm-hmm. Feeney and Finn are pretty similar. And at one point Finn has a dream where, uh, and he's, he's like, he says something like in the dream is like, was Bobby had the same face as him. And so I thought that was an interesting little King touch. Um, And then the other thing is again with Bobby Feeney, assuming his name is Robert, that gives him the initials RF, Mm 
which is Randall yeah. Flag hmm. and Randall he's also Flag, nineteen years old, and mm. he's nineteen years. And his address is nineteen. Uh, what the hell is the name of his street? Uh, nineteen Rowan Street, I think. Hmm. Hmm. So the nineteens that that King loves, but also the RF. Yeah, that King I didn't uses. notice that. Yeah, it's usually used. You know, it's Randall Flag or one of his aliases, or I think in in the the newer books, the Gwendy's Button uh, box books. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's Richard Farris is I think the name of the guy with the buttons. Um, Haven't read. So I thought yet. that was interesting, and it may be absolutely nothing, but uh, but I caught the nineteen, and I caught the the RF. Assuming you know Bobby's name is actually Robert, so yeah. I just figured I needed to show off and mention. <laughs> no, well so done. I see what you did, Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> Now is usually the point in the show where we allow our guests to, uh, you know, um, tease whatever they're working on next or, you know, uh, promote whatever they're doing now or really anything you just want to draw attention to. So uh, where can people find you? What are you up to, Andy? Uh, So I am the co-host of the podcast, The New Abnormal, which is part Mm -hmm. of the uh, part of the Daily Beast. Um, and we, uh, new episodes come out every Tuesday, Friday and Sunday, uh, so you can check that out. It's a bunch of uh, it's a bunch of lefty politics, um, yes. and uh, so if that's not your thing, then you should check it out anyway. So it becomes your thing, and if it is your thing, you should check it out <laughs> because it is your thing. Um, and uh, so yeah, that's that's really what I've got going on right now. It's me and uh, Molly Jongfast is the yeah uh, is my co host and uh, she's Cannon, great. Our, our producer who is also great. Yeah, so that's that's pretty much what I have uh, going on these days. Three episodes a week. Three episodes we do a week. We two, and that's pushing it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm the impressed. weekend episode, the Sunday episode, is is a bonus episode. It's a little shorter. Um, oh, right on. But it's uh, but yeah, it's been really. I start. I just started doing it in December, and it's been. Uh, I sort of took a couple of years away from the uh, the public eye or the semi-public eye or whatever the right. hell I was the commentator uh, world back in the day. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, it's been fun being back in there. The weird thing is that sort of back in the day, I was a, I was a little bit of a hardcore libertarian and now I'm just like sort of fully left. So yeah. people that the people that knew me from back in the day, uh, I, I get a lot of people unfollow me on Twitter, uh, <laughs> because I've changed. So, uh, so that's kind of fun. Well, but, uh, uh, Twitter followers, losing Twitter followers is uh, probably uh, a lesser offense than, say, you know, not being on the right side of history. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, no, know. I mean, I'm fine yeah. with it, you know. Oh, of right. course, of course, of course. Whatever. I mean, well, I have, thank you. Go I ahead. Two billion, I have two billion, uh, I think it's Twitter followers. According, uh, well, my, according to your, my bio, but you did. Yeah, your bio you, said five billion. Um, oh, it might, which, I don't, you know well, what? I don't lost really, half don't of really, your, your, your Twitter followers? It might be fine. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't really check. Uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah, last I saw, I'm, I'm um, you know, I, I don't know what I am, but I'm assuming it's got to be at least three or four million by now. So <laughs> I'm, a, I'm coming up on uh, 40. Uh, comp- 40 followers. 40 followers, yes. 40? Um, yes, nice. That's good. And, good. Uh, nice. Yeah, it's a good I, start. I, yeah. Well, I've only been at it for, you know, eight or nine years. So, um, <laughs> you yeah, know, you're going uh, to have to start limiting comments at that point. I've been thinking about locking the account. Um, yeah. <laughs> might be time for that. You know, you don't want to get too, 
too noticeable on there. You just become a target, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, thank you very much for being here today, Andy. This was uh, highly entertaining, and uh, we got into some cool. Uh, this this went fantastically. Uh, I was yeah. I was not expecting to go down some of these alleyways on this particular <laughs> title, but uh, turned out great. Um, Good. So thank you for being here. This was awesome. Many thanks to Andy Levy. That was such a blast. I had so much fun breaking down. Uh, that short story it was way more involved and uh, kind of pointed than I expected going into this uh, this recording. Um, and I think we're kind of on that same page too, where we're just like, yeah. well, we hope uh, you know, we hope that there's enough there for this very short story to kind of coast for an hour. And like we kept going, whoa, there's more stuff to talk about. What about this angle? So well, there's it was, a, it was there, a good one. There's a lot of ideas in that story that are kind of fun to play with. We absolutely did that on this episode. I think uh, you know. I don't think you can. I don't think any reasonable person could ask for a more well-rounded episode on Finn than the one they just listened to right now. <laughs> and I'll take that to court. Right. And I, I hope enough of the listeners have uh, gotten a chance to read the story, and and uh, we didn't just completely ruin it for for a huge chunk of the people listening to the show. But uh, uh, if so, you know, you had your shot. It's out there. It's free. You can get it. We've been telling you where to find that story for weeks. Yeah, we we've tried. We've tried. There's only so much we can do. We can, some of you can lead you a listener to water, but you can't make them drink. That's the thing. <laughs> no matter how unlucky they are. Yeah. And um, if you haven't read it, just go sign up for a little Scrib free trial. Uh, it takes you 20, 30 minutes to read this story. Boom. You listen to the episode. Easy good. peasy. Yes. We're telling you this now at the end of the episode, which <laughs> yeah. we go beat by beat through the entire thing. So, uh, so, <laughs> but that's how we do. We like to do things. out. Yeah. There. I don't, I really don't know who I'm talking to there. That didn't make any, any sense. <laughs> We're talking but... to the one person who just listens to the show for the outros. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Such a person must exist by just like, you know, law of averages, <laughs> sure. you know, given the number of listeners we have, there must be one of them that just listens to the outros. <laughs> Next week's another, uh, Interesting situation going on there. Why don't you? Why don't you? Sure. Yeah. So we are in the middle of scheduling a couple black phone related guests, and we think the black phone episodes start next week, but we're not a hundred percent sure. So we're, but the idea is that we start next week Mm -hmm. with a black phone guest, which is great. I want to state up front, Joe Hill uh, is very, very, very nicely turned us down about 18 times. Uh, and uh, this was no exception. So don't expect Joe Hill in this run, but, um, uh, but we do have a couple of black phone guests on the line and, yes. uh, and we love the black phone. Don't we, Eric? It's we love the black it's phone, good don't we, folks. It's a damn good movie. And we are very excited to <laughs> dig into black phone and whatever titles that, uh, may or may not be uh, chosen by these upcoming guests. Yeah. We're excited about these episodes. You should be too. And, uh, we're also, we're also sort of back to normal on our, our recording schedule. We, uh, after getting through the knot of the Overlook Film Fest and the um, and the anniversary episode, we are we're kind of back to standard issue uh, scheduling, which is which is nice. And we have got some really cool people headed your way in the uh, not too distant future. Uh, we think you're going to be very excited. Yeah. Um, yeah, recording gauntlet is in the process of being <laughs> of being put up. Next week's going to be a lot of recording for us, but yes, but that's only good news because it's uh, really cool and fun people that are coming in the bullshit about Stephen King with us. Indeed, with a with a few big titles mixed in there too. Mm. Uh, meanwhile, over on the uh, the Patreon this weekend, uh, those of you who are Kingcast patrons, which all of you should be by now and are clearly not, 
we debated going back. We went back and forth on do we drop the live episode that we recorded with Mick at in New Orleans this past weekend on the main feed, or do we want to do that? You know, as uh, as a a Patreon only thing right now. We what we've decided to do is split the difference. We're going to make this an early access episode and throw it onto the Patreon for for our patrons only, and it's going to remain exclusive for a while. So if you want to hear that, you'll need to be signed up to hear it some point in the distant future. Uh, we we may release that as a bonus drop into the main feed, but that that will be a quite a while from now, if so. So if you want to hear what happened uh, after we watched uh, Sleepwalkers with Mick Garris, and I mean, literally watched it with him. We were sitting, you know, right next to him <laughs> yep. um, during the movie. And uh, it's probably safe to say here that. You know, uh, I I broke my glasses while we were in New Orleans, Mm -hmm. and so I could only see so much, which is not that much at all. Uh, And there were like points in the movie where Mick kind of leaned over and was like pointing out something on screen to me. And Uh uh, I had no idea what he was fucking pointing at. (laughs) But I I just like smiling or like nodding, you know, because like I didn't want to be like, I can't see it. But um (laughs) Yeah, that was that was quite the experience. We had a, a, a very lively conversation with him and uh, a bunch of the people in the audience afterwards. You're going to hear all of that. Um, a, a couple of listeners ended up on the KingCast as a result of this recording yeah. because we invited them up to, you know, to the table to, to ask questions directly. It's a really fun conversation. Uh, we do ask Mick when he's going to collaborate with King again on a project and and. Uh, there's no firm news there, but he did have an interesting response. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great conversation. We think you're going to love it. So, uh, patrons, big exclusive bonus coming to you this Friday. Hell yeah. So that's about it. We'll have our first black phone guest mo- more than likely, hopefully fingers crossed next, uh, next Wednesday. And we'll announce that guest and title on Monday on our Twitter feed. Adios folks. Later. The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director, and editing is done by yours truly. <laughs>